Wes asked me to come join him today. That's for you. So, thanks, Judah. Uh, Wes, I, it was literally uh, Matt Tully and Ryan McCall and, and Luke Dunnick when we sat down at a restaurant and we split up these verses and kind of said, who can, who can teach these passages, specific passages? And you got tagged with this, this set of scripture. I want to read it for everybody, if that's okay. Yep. Uh, Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 14. Jim, I don't know. I'm in Christian Standard Version, so I don't know if that's what's up there or not. But uh, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave under sin. For I do not understand what I am doing. For I do not understand what I'm doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. It's a little confusing there. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Some of you are sitting in this room going, what in the world is he saying? Uh, Now, if if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. (laughs) What a wretched man am I. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. All right, Wes, out of those uh, verses right there, what probably rises to the top for you? So I would focus in on verse 15, and I'll read that here again in a second, and then I'd also focus in on verse 23. So 15 says, For what I am doing I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. And then the other one is, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Why why are those rising to the top for you? I think for me, both of these uh, have been lived experiences, and I, I really connect with what they're saying. So let's, let's this morning try to break down these passages of Scripture as it has applied to your own life. Wes has given me the green light. I don't know how good that is, but uh, all questions are fair game here this morning, right? Trusting you. <laughs> I told him I would not Oprah him, so... Uh, um, Wes and I... 
uh, go back to the late 90s when he was in junior high and he began to attend church at Northside Baptist Church where I was at that time the youth pastor. And uh, he was actively involved. I think uh, in high, in, when he got into high school, uh, Wes is a very intelligent young man. And he desired to know the Lord. But there was, uh, I've probably known two people in my life, two people in my life that were absolutely obsessed with God. Where I had to say to Wes, just stop. (laughs) Just stop. Uh, If you go back... um, my personal journey, late 90s, I didn't know my identity in Christ. I was le- living under legalism and everything that I grew up in and knew. It wasn't until about 2000, 2001 uh, that that became revelation to me. And so this was about your high school. So the time that I'm learning who I am, tell me about your struggles with your pursuit of God. So I have always been a pretty intense person. Um, I remember in high school, um, I was sitting at a um, sitting at home in front of the piano, and my dad came in, and he was like, "Wes, you're too intense, and you need to dial it back." Um, and I think at that point in time, like Rusty said, I was obsessed with trying to get to understand God, and I f- I felt like. If I understood enough about him, um, and if I did what I could to try to plumb the depths, that I would I would have something figured out. I will I would have arrived somewhere, and so I was just I think at that point in time, um, if I'm honest, and it's only in retrospect that I realized this. What I was trying to do was I was trying to gain acceptance or belonging through trying to figure some of these things out in the Bible. It's like, if I knew the Bible enough, if I had the deeper insights, if I had the whatever, um, then I would be accepted. So, uh, obviously, we talked several times through this, and me saying the same thing that your dad was saying, except in a spiritual content, dial it back as the pastor to the, the, the student that's in pursuit of God. How did that how did that affect you? I thought, you don't know what you're talking about. Let me just go harder. <laughs> um, and uh, that's, that's high school students, right? Yeah. That's like, uh, you, you knew it all, right? Yeah. And, and, or I, even if I didn't know it all, I was confident that I could figure it all out. Uh, which caused another path for us to take mm-hmm. when you were in high school you pursued you pursued something a little different than where I was going, and it caused a conflict between you and I. Uh, what was that period of time like for you? Yeah, so I, I mean, it, it, trying to think here. So, um, yeah, I think one was just the the sheer intensity. So part of it was like um, you're telling me to dial it back. I'm going to go harder. So it was just like let's keep the level of intensity at 11 and you wanted to go at five 
which was probably a healthier pace <laughs> than 11. Um, um, and then, you know, along with that, I think that there were some other things that I was getting fascinated by, like spiritual gifts and things like that, that um, just at the time, um, I, I don't think that that was without going too far into a rabbit hole. Um, but my, my interest in spiritual gifts, I think, um, was a, um, a rabbit trail. And, and so I was chasing down that, and I was getting really intense about that. About that. And so um, I think, I, I mean, I probably drove a lot of people away from me with my intensity. Not, not just you, but I think a lot of my peers probably started to... That's my perception. Uh, I would agree that. I don't know if uh, you drove yourself away from me or if I drove myself away from you. I don't know how that, but it was, it was kind of mutual. Just let you do your thing. And uh, then you got to college mm -hmm. and you want to reflect on where you were spiritually, emotionally in college. This is starting to take you down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, in college, so um, I was... You know, I, I got plucked out from my church community, more or less, and then I went to um, college. It was only 40 minutes away. I went to Anderson University. And um, I found myself pretty isolated there. Um, and again, if I look back in retrospect, really what the narrative for me was, was I wanted to belong. I wanted to connect with people. Um, and the way that I thought that I could do that was by knowing more or by doing something more. And um, while I was at Anderson, I think it was like the first two years especially, um, I was in a really dark place, was dealing with a lot of, uh, I was dealing with depression, I was put on suicide watch at the, at the university, um, and um, again, was just very isolated at the time. And, um, you know, I was getting things just sort of like lobbed over the bow from um, like Keith, um, he would just like... It, it, send me, you know, or he, he would contact me or something. And so he was like kind of um, feeding me these things about identity in Christ. And so I was intrigued by that. It, it was it was stuff that was starting to like seep in. But I can't say that, you know, it was like wholesale, you know, I got sold out on it. Um, you know, first thing in, in college, it was definitely a journey. But yeah, I was in a pretty dark place in college. And I was not anywhere in the picture because yeah. you and I literally had kind of gotten into it and separated. Like we, there was that, that friendship had kind of taken a pause. I think your mother was even upset with me at one point and uh, she let me know it. Don't get on my bad side. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we were definitely separated. And then you said something earlier. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, so we were separated, um, hadn't had much contact at all. And, um, you know, I, I even think that I felt shame about that whole, uh, scenario and that, that whole, um, situation. And I, re I remember I was at a, my summer job and, um, I was, I was summer job at the jazz kitchen. I was in the basement and I was doing some like, call it marketing, but it basically was like, here, go hand out these flyers. But anyways, I was down there and I, I got a phone call and it was rusty. And I was like, that's weird. Um, and I picked up the phone and, uh, you know, I probably, if, I, if I'm honest, when I saw his name pop up there, I was probably like, I felt something in my throat, like, oh man, what did I do? Um, 
But uh, he picked up the phone and he said, uh, hey, man, happy birthday. And like it was really small, really simple, but it's like there was a, that was a point of connection, a genuine connection, because like there was no reason for us to have been connected, but he reached out and connected with me and he just said happy birthday. And that like that in my head was like just one pivot point um, where I, I felt it was almost like just beginning to wake up to some stuff. So uh, we're now talking probably you graduated high school in 2005, yep. 2005. And so now it's probably around 2007, 2008. I'm leaving Northside Baptist and kind of floundering. What I'm, what am I going to do with this whole identity thing? Call Wes, say happy birthday. And he says, can we meet? Yeah, come on over. I'm painting my office. The office was at that point just bare white. And that's all I remember is, again, uh, maybe just laying the foundation for Wes's identity in Christ. Do you remember that day? Yeah, and again, like, it's, it's interesting because there's nothing... I, I remember painting um, at your house, and... If I look back on it, there wasn't anything like remarkable about it in and of itself. It right. wasn't like I came over and you laid hands on me and, you know, sprayed me with holy water or whatever. But like, you know, I, I just, <laughs> which, which would have been weird on so many levels. But, um, <laughs> but it was just, um, again, it was this, it was, it was connection. Yes. And it was genuine connection and it wasn't. Um, it was a point of healing. Yeah. The point of saying, "Hey, I still love you." Yep. And we're still brothers, and we're still in the same faith. And you know, where are you now? Yep. And I think that was the same thing that he was. And so we rekindled the relationship. Uh, I got to do your wedding with you and Rachel, and mm-hmm. you've been married how long now? Going on nine years this year. May 26th. You sure about that? Yes. All right. 100% sure. May 26th. That's this week. Yeah. Isn't it? Coming up? Yes. Yeah, like three days, so don't forget. Yep. Uh, Mine's next week. Uh, So then you started having kids. You're hanging out at Levener. You're hanging out with Keith. You're hanging out with these people right here. You're growing in your faith. You're figuring out who you are, right? You want to talk about that? So I would say there was a period of time where my volume got turned back down to like, you know, probably seven or eight. And then as I like tried to figure out my identity, Christ turned it way back up to 11. (laughs) um, Which is which is normal when you hear this news, it gets you pretty stoked and you're out there like pounding everybody over the head with it. And then you realize maybe I don't know as much as I do. And you dial it back again. Yeah. And, And so here again, like. Um, I think, again, at its core, and if I, if I go back to here, um, you know, there was, the scripture talks about, like, the inner man and what the inner man was wanting and desiring. And the inner man wanted and desired belonging um, and connection. Um, but there were avenues that my flesh was trying to take in order to get that, and it just, I'd keep hitting my head against a wall. Um, and... Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that, like, intellectually, I learned a lot 
but there's a difference between knowing it intellectually and like waking up to it in the spirit, I would say, which is a process. And I, I'm still doing that. Yeah, I, th- I think we all are, but I, I, don't, I don't think what you just said is big enough with what you just said. Tell me more. Well, you're up here. I'm interviewing you. So, uh, <laughs> but there's a there's a thing about knowing this, and there's a difference between believing this and believing it is trusting it. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, I when it says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We always grew up thinking, don't sin because you're making the Holy Spirit mad. Mm-hmm. If the Holy Spirit is doesn't see sin in you because you've been perfected by the blood of Jesus Christ, then how do you not grieve the Holy Spirit? I can sit here across from you or others that know this stuff forwards and backwards and can't apply it can't trust it, can't believe it, and it, it hurts. And I, I, I resonated with don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Like, mm. I've given you everything. I've given you everything. You know it. I can't, I can't do it. Mean, he can do it for us, but it's just like, you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. And I mean, I'd have to say I, I had to hit my head pretty hard in order to, to wake up some of let's, this. Let's talk about that. Let's go there about you hitting your head hard. Uh, Graham's born. Lily's born. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of crashed in 2018. Uh, found yourself in a Chick-fil-A parking lot. And what happened? Yeah, so Lily was about, um, I think, around 18 months. And... Um, Again, like there was this um, drive that I've had to belong, to be seen, to be connected um, to other people. And the means that I thought that I would be able to do that is um, by either like knowing something, being the smartest person in the room, or by being the most interesting person in the room and chasing down things that would make me more and more interesting. And so um, my vocation at the time, or I guess my job, it wasn't even my vocation. So like my job, um, I was able to like, I've had a a pretty tough relationship with work for a long time. And the reason is, is because I was trying to find my identity in actually performing. In doing things. In doing things, absolutely. Because it was, if I had the more interesting job, if I did more interesting things, if I was around more interesting people... Um, then people would accept me or I would be accepted by those super interesting people over there. Um, And that is a lie, by the way. Um, And so the job that I I had, um, there was an opportunity that I landed that um, was super sexy. It was a very sexy job um, to me and then also to a lot of other folks in the community. And so there was a network of folks that just started banging down my door. 
um, they were um, coming to me and um, they were just, they were interested, they were smiling and they were interested in what I was doing, but I could tell that like they were interested in the job. They weren't interested in me. They were, they were interested in what they could get from it and, and whatever else. And so like that, there was a validation I was getting, but it was still empty. And um, I, in taking that role, it was very risky um, because it had a limited timeline for me to succeed within that. Um, and um, I basically had a panic attack in the, in the middle of all of that. And I called Keith and I basically was like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I am confused. I am worried. I'm disoriented. Um, and you weren't you weren't really able to communicate. Yeah, it was it was just like that. Who knows what I said to Keith? But <laughs> um, but he could tell something was wrong. Um, he was, I think, out of town at the time, and so he um, sent Doug Shreve to um, meet me at the Chick Fil A parking lot. And so, like, Doug pulls up, and um, I get in Doug's car. And again, I don't know. What is said? Is Doug here today? No, he's at the lake house. Okay. Yeah, of course he is. No, I'm just kidding. Um, um, so He's listening, though. Oh, hi, Doug. Love you. Um, yeah, so anyways, I get into Doug's car, and, like, God love Doug. He, like, he's there. He's just present, but, like, he's really unsure, like, what's going on or what to do. Because, like, I'm, I'm, like, losing it. Like, yeah, he called me. Yeah. Um, so like I'm losing it and, uh, like between back, like whatever back and forth there was like, um, got out that like, okay, I'm let's go to the hospital. Like, um, and Doug's like, yeah, I think that would be a good idea. (laughs) Um, and frankly, like between when, um, I went to, so I checked into the stress center and from that point to when, um, like I was in like the, uh, place where they receive people. It's like a holding tank for people before they like go to different parts of the psych ward or whatever. Um, uh, I don't really remember what happened. Like I was just out of it, like not communicative, just sort of staring into space, kind of catatonic. Yeah. And I was, yeah. Yeah. So now you're in the stress center. Mm Mm-hmm. And the stress center is there to help you. <laughs> Why do you laugh? Uh, so it did help me, but I think in spite of itself. Um, and so I, before I get there, though, I, I want to point back to verse 15 here. So, like, there's some ambiguity around, like, what I described that led me up to this. <laughs> and as I was processing this actually beforehand, I was like, Rusty, there's still stuff I don't understand about that whole season. I, I don't, it doesn't make sense. And he's like, well, yeah, like for what I am doing, I do not understand. Um, I knew that I didn't want to be doing what I was doing, but I was doing it. Like there was something that was like doing the thing. <laughs> um, and so like, again, that was a lived experience for me when I got, okay. So back to the stress, stress center. Um, there, it's in a basement. There's no light. Um, you're kind of in a concrete cell, more or less. Um, you know, you're allowed to like walk out into the commons area, um, and like all the nurses are behind plexiglass because they're scared of you. 
Um, and, um, like, there's just, I mean, people just, like, wandering around down there. But there were, there were two significant things that yeah. you, you said, and I'll try to refresh, refresh you. The first one was uh, a man. Yep. Yeah, so um, it, it, the, the environment was inhumane is what I would, like, it was just an inhumane environment. But there was a guy down there who was just a volunteer. And uh, I remember he would use my name. Just say, like, you know, if I if it was time to eat or whatever, he'd be like, here you go, Wes. And so, like, just having somebody say my name was just, it, it reminded me that I was a person. It reminded me who I was. Um, and, like, it was a very, very small act of kindness, but having somebody say your name and mean it um, was a huge deal. And then the other thing was uh, the phone calls. Yeah. Um, so then um, I, I, I don't even remember when they started, but um, again, I was in the basement of the hospital, I guess. Like, <laughs> and um, I started getting phone calls. Um, and it was like every 30 minutes, the, um, the nursing staff would be like, Wes, you have another phone call. Wes, you have another phone call. The other people didn't get nearly as many phone calls. Um, and so, like, you know, I got phone calls from Rachel. I got phone calls from Micah. I got phone calls from, I think, Doug and Keith and Jonathan Haig and Rusty. And um, I'm probably missing a ton of people. But, um, you know, my parents and, um, like, again, I was just, like, people were beating down the door, in a sense, to, like, get at me. And as I was as I was reflecting on this, like the compare and contrast thing, which is like, you know, previously I had a bunch of people sort of knocking on my door um, earlier in my story to get at me when um, I had you know worldly things to offer, um, but that felt empty. And then I have people trying to knock down my door to get at me when I have absolutely nothing to offer them. And the contrast for me, and I think that like the ongoing narrative is like discerning between validation and love. The previous one is validation, and then the other one is love, and they feel very different, and they're very different. Um, and so, like again, they were ordinary and small things, but they treated me like I felt treated like a a person. And nobody really called and was like, "Hey, man, how you doing?" Like th- there wasn't really sympathy as much as like they. It, it was almost lighthearted. They were just like calling to see how I was doing. Like it wasn't sad or sympathetic necessarily. It was just like, hey, how's it going, man? Yeah. Uh, we, you and I haven't talked about this, but uh, Rachel during the time, she, is she not here today? Yeah, she is. Rachel. She'd really appreciate it if you asked her to come up here. <laughs> I, I think you're hiding behind the corner. I, Hi, I Graham. See, I see Graham. Uh, but Rachel during this time, obviously you're concerned about your wife. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What's going on with Rachel? Oh, man, she is a rock star. Like, she just sort of um, kept the family going, like, as normal, tried to protect sort of the kids from, like, what was happening and, and any sort of disruption in life. Um, I, From what I understand, she was calling other people and just trying to, like, um, kind of, like, build the community around the family to, to keep things stable. Um, 
And uh, yeah, she, I mean, she's just, she's grounded. She's stable. <laughs> she's, she's a rock star. I mean, yeah. Uh, all right. So you were in there how long? Uh, a week. And re-entry back into the house, that was like, oh, one of our concerns was like, how do you re-enter back into a place that obviously sent you there, or maybe it wasn't what sent you there, but how do you, I remember being there with Michelle at your house the Mm -hmm. day you came home and. I felt vulnerable and unsure of myself, um, and uh, I mean, I think there were a couple different things. Um, yeah, so I felt vulnerable and unsure of myself, um, and like one of the things that they, so some of the things that kind of helped with the reentry, um, one was staying open and connected to not just Rachel, but other people. Um, I think previously I had tried to take on sort of this depressive state alone and by myself, sleeping and doing whatever I could to just like, nobody else is going to understand. I'll take care of this myself. Um, I'm too much for other people. You know, those sorts of things um, were kind of the messages I was hearing. Um, And... um, so with like reentry, like an easy thing, like that Rachel and I would do is like, hey, on a scale of one to ten, how are you doing today? So like, you know, I'm at a, a three, you know, okay, well tell me why. So like that gave us like an objective sort of way for us to check in on each other. But you know, besides me trying to like just describe my emotional internal world, which can be difficult to understand. So like having an objective like number for us to agree on would would be helpful. So. That was like another thing. It's just like being honest with where I am and who I am and kind of like the state that I'm in with other people and letting them in. We're uh, living in a time and a community that is uh, trying to break down the stigma. In fact, it's actually mental health month here in Fishers or wherever. Uh, So the timing of this discussion is appropriate. Let me ask you this. Would you say that you have a mental health issue? That's an interesting question. Um, I haven't asked you that before. No. Um, I think if you, like, if you were to go ask psychiatrists, they would probably say that, like, major depression was the issue. Like, I think, like, I have a sheet of paper that says that. <laughs> Um, I don't, I'm not always sure that I believe that that's what it is because I think that Romans seven actually sort of draws it out. Okay. So now you're jumping from a, a humanistic label to a spiritual warfare, which can freak people out a little bit. Sure. Uh, but why, why would you make that jump? Um, when I was in the hospital, one of the things that they like were equipping us with, um, like it was their curriculum and, um, they basically said, um, when you hear negative thoughts, so this is what they're saying. Yes. When you hear negative thoughts, 
recognize those negative thoughts, and then counter those negative thoughts with positive thoughts. And, and I'm like, okay, well, that sounds a little familiar, but it's like how, <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, where do I get those, where do I pull those thought, positive thoughts from? Like, where, like, do you have a guide? Is there like a, a worksheet? Um, Speaking so, of spiritual warfare. Yeah, so it's like, you've got those, um, so like they were telling us to do what I, I think, Romans 7 is telling us, but they didn't have a basis on yeah, which to like go any deeper with that. But uh, you're sitting there having, if you have negative thoughts, replace them with positive thoughts. Okay, how do you do that? Right. That's the, that's the question that you all ask. How do you do that? How do you replace? Because you can't, can you stop the negative thoughts? Well, and that's the interesting thing is like, in in one version, right, like, who who stops the thoughts? Like, who replaces the negative thoughts with the positive thoughts? Like, if you are, um, this is probably going too deep, but, like, That's all right. um, like, with kind of a humanistic perspective, like, if you have, um, if you are deficient and if you have depression, it's like, well, then how, like, how can my brain generate positive thoughts? Like, if I, if I am deficient, how can my brain generate positive thoughts? Um, but according to this, there's an inner man, there's the Spirit of God that you can draw on to generate those positive thoughts. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. No, ab- absolutely it makes sense. That's, that's the whole deal right there. Is I, I think there's two things. One is when he says, I'm no longer the one doing it. Everybody thinks, oh, you're preaching sinless perfection. You're saying that you don't sin. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, I don't understand why I am doing the things I don't want to do. Where in the world are these negative thoughts coming from? And so he says, I'm not the one doing it. When you come to the realization of what? Yeah, so I I um I think that the it is um they're not just compulsive thoughts, they're they're compulsions. So like I, I don't know that they are just in the mind or in, in your brain. Like I think that I can feel compulsions in my gut, or I can feel compulsions and Paul says like in this is you. Yes, yes. Okay. Like I can feel compulsions in my gut, or I can feel compulsions in my you know, members of my body, like Paul says here, like flesh means body, like your physical, actual body. Um, and so like for me, realizing that some of the compulsions are going to be felt in my physical body, say like right here, not just up here was a huge thing for me too. But, uh, but we still got to get to the point of, okay, you're getting these compulsions, but are you the one that's doing it? Yeah, so there's a yeah, right. It's like I I am experiencing compulsions, but I am not my compulsions. You're not originating these compulsions. Correct. You hear this, right? Like some of you, some of us have compulsive 
thoughts, addictions, things like that. Like, and my compulsion, like my, my chief compulsion is to jump in and to say something smart or insightful or like really special, right? So people go, wow, he said something really special. <laughs> You're doing a great job this morning. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think if you can... One, you're not going to stop these compulsions. You're not going to stop them. Because they, Paul says it dwells in our flesh. And you all have a flesh. You all have a body. You all have compulsions, thoughts, negative thoughts. You, all have, you cannot stop those. But you have to understand you're not the one that originated those. Like some of the thoughts that you have are pretty wicked. And I say that because I have them too. And there's no way me, a holy, righteous, redeemed, forgiven person with a new heart and the mind of Christ can originate those nasty, corruptive thoughts. I can't. It's not possible. So where in the world are they coming from? And this is why Paul's saying, I don't understand why I do the things I don't want to do. Where in the world? And then he says, I'm no longer the one doing it. It's the sin that dwells within me. Like, not the sin, the action, but that there's a power. This power that, like, lives within me is constantly sending me crap to my head. Mm-hmm. Sending you down this rabbit hole. And Yeah, and, and so, like, um, your or my, like, my uh, thought patterns, my uh, physical body, like, learned certain patterns like it picked things up over life to try to get my needs met for say love and love and connection or affection to be seen to be understood and like that worked for a it worked for a while right i was getting validation and, and kind of your dopamine kick from those things for a while and so like um i think what i'm trying to draw out here a little bit is um that the flesh um like you might get thoughts that are like, where in the world did that come from? You may also realize that um, your body has picked up these things over time. It's like it's accrued these these habit patterns that are um, negative habit patterns to try to get its needs met. And it can't. It can never get your needs met. So, okay, I'm going to go here with you now. So you struggled with it can't, can't be met. Mm-hmm. Uh, you feel pretty level today? Yeah. Why is that? A um, couple reasons. Um, I So I take medicine for um, depression, and um, that, I think, what it does is it takes sort of my emotional amplitude and it compresses it. So, like, there is a box that I feel much more stable within to be able to think more clearly um, and uh, really take responsibility for things I need to take responsibility for. So you're not denying then that the medicine has helped you? Absolutely, it has. Do you think that uh, it's for a season or do you think it's for long term? What do you think? Sometimes I think about like, you know, at what point could I... You know, at one point, could I uh, take off the training wheels, maybe, um, and be able to do this without medicine, be able to regulate thoughts, emotions, things like that without the medicine. And um, I'm not really 
anxious to get off of it. Like, I wonder about if I could. Like, it would be sure interesting, maybe. But, like, um, I, I'm in no hurry for it. Like, it, I think if you asked Rachel, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, it definitely has made me, a, a, I think, a more um, level-headed, dutiful person. Did you say there were two things? Did you say medicine and and then you never said the connection yeah like genuine connection so like um there was something that luke dunnick said to me i think like two two weeks ago um and he's like yeah if you if you go up there and do your west thing i'm gonna stay home (laughs) and what what and and like i like i chewed on that for a while and like this morning it was like well i can go and like I can over prepare and I can try to like come up with some like, you know, great insights out of this that are super deep, um, which would get me validated. Right. It's like afterwards, somebody come pat me on the back and say, that was so deep. Um, yeah, this went from you teaching to like two weeks ago. Can you come to the last 10 minutes and as we talk to this morning, Hey, can you just be up there the whole time? Yeah. <laughs> can you just teach rusty? Um, and, um, like, it, my, my physical body wants to run away from this. Like, I feel afraid of being seen and of being known and of being loved. But there's a trust there that I have to push against that appetite and that compulsion and that fear of being seen um, by, I guess, telling my story and realizing that I can be loved. There's a risk to it. Some people may not. What's the risk? Not being loved, being rejected. Because of your story? Yeah. People thinking that I'm, you know, I mean, there, there's all the thoughts, right? It's like, I was going to say, that's a lie, dude. Yeah. That's just an absolute lie. If people reject you because of your story, that's their issue, not your issue. Uh, you're deeply loved. Appreciate that. I have to trust that. <laughs> Because really? it doesn't feel like va- it, validation and love don't feel the same. Hmm. Validation is exciting. Yeah. You, but you've experienced that here, right? Absolutely. Experienced love here. I had. I mean, like I said, like number one in the hospital. Like I had, people were trying to get to me, and I have. I had nothing to give them. A- absolutely nothing to give them. Mm-hmm. Um. You have no idea what you have given today. You have no idea that there's people in this room that need to hear what you've been through, what you're going through, what you're doing, doing. Uh, They need to hear it today. Um, I appreciate your vulnerability, your openness. it's being Wes, doing the Wes thing. Uh, that's important. Glad you're here, Luke. <laughs> he just tries to scare people. He's not really <laughs> that tough. Um, I just know that I love you. you have any last comment, last word that you want to say in light of the end of Romans chapter 7? I guess a few things like um, you can't do it alone, 
And what that means is you've got to be let yourself be seen by others. Um, and we all wear, we all tend to wear masks or our flesh or our egos or whatever it is to try to get our needs met. But um, find somebody, and there's a lot of somebodies in this room that you can um, trust to um, share everything that's going on inside because you cannot, it is, you cannot do this by yourself. You, you can't do the mental health thing without the spiritual side of it. Yeah. Like I, I, I believe that we are made designed to be connected genuinely and deeply with one another. And, um, I believe that the spirit is what equips us to do that the best. There's nothing else that can replicate that. All right. All right. I love you. Love you. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'll say this in closing. Um, we'll, we'll get into Romans chapter eight next week, but this community is real. It, it, I, I hope it is. I hope that you saw vulnerability and we all struggle. We all, we all have issues. Uh, no one here expects anyone to be perfect in their behavior. Dan Ludke shirt back there says, trust me, I'm perfect. He wears that proudly because he knows what Christ has done in his life, has made him perfect. Perfect, holy, righteous, and redeemed, and it's Christ alone that does that for us. So uh, we realize we're going to stub our toes and uh, struggle with addictions and what? I was just going to say, like, check, check. <laughs> so, yeah, I was, I was going to say, like, there, there's something about, like, when you are connected with other people um, and other people can see you and love you in the midst of all of that. And even maybe kind of laugh a little bit about your behavior. Like um, I remember after um, some of this, I I, uh, had pad Thai with Matt Tully and uh, kind of light. And I needed the lightheartedness. Like I remember Matt Tully, like he was sitting across from me and he goes, you kind of lost it there for a little bit, didn't you, man? But, like, honestly, it was, like, I think it was the spirit saying that because, like, it was just lighthearted. It was, like, you're okay. Like, it's okay. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. You are okay. I don't know about Matt being okay. okay. (laughs) Uh, In saying that about the community, I say that uh, one of the biggest experiences you had in your Christian life was probably student youth camp, going to camp. And we're doing that in 29 days. We're taking kids to camp. Uh, and honestly, the camp that we're doing now is a totally different than the camp that we did when you went, because it is, uh, a lot of leaders that love you and just hang out with you and process stuff with you. And so if you can get your sixth through 12th grade completed kids to go to camp with us, that would be awesome. Uh, we go up to Door County, Wisconsin. The registration was supposedly closed last Sunday, but I will take you in a heartbeat if you can get your kids to go. 
and uh, it's going to be a great week. So that's coming up uh, June 20th through the 26th. Uh, we're back here next week on, get this, race day next week. And our speaker will be none other than Nick Ford, who will miss his first race day in years. This is a dude that worked for Chip Ganassi Racing for years. And he wasn't scheduled to be on race day, but because we had the, the guys here from Team Challenge, we shifted our whole schedule back. And I'm like, Nick, can you do on race day? And he goes, I can. And so uh, he's left the Chip Ganassi Racing Team, who did obviously very well yesterday. And uh, he will be here taking us into Chapter 8. And it's going to be a, a great Sunday. So I hope that you can be here next Sunday. I love you. Stay connected, hug one another, and I'll see you next Sunday.